0: We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Martha Roberts. There's something a bit weird about how we talk about health. As deep as the mainstream roots seem to be of the conviction that health care is best understood as a socialized public good, however increasingly imperfectly that might be realized in practice, there is still something deeply individualized and asocial about most of the ways we have available to us to talk about health itself. From the majority of professional public health discourse to that aunt that always raises her eyebrows when you take a second helping of dessert at a holiday meal, we're bombarded with incessant messaging that links our health to a very narrow spectrum of individual behaviors. This completely ignores the ways in which far more of the circumstances which determine our health are about how our lives and communities are socially organized. And not just in terms of the growing but still very underappreciated focus on social determinants of health in some professional corners, but in ways that go to the very core of how social relations of exploitation, oppression, and marginalization take such a toll on so many lives. Structural determinants of health are where the analysis needs to go, according to today's guest. Roberts is a community organizer, a midwife, and an educator in Vancouver, and a member of the Alliance for People's Health. They're a collective of health workers, grassroots organizers, and community members committed to the struggle for health for all. Their work combines popular education, organizing, and mobilizing in working-class communities in Vancouver, in a way connected with and informed by liberation movements from around the world and among indigenous nations on Turtle Island. Along with their important work on the ground, they are elaborating a cutting-edge analysis of health that, for instance, identifies social justice as prevention of disease and participating in liberation movements as a form of healing. I spoke with Roberts about the group, about their analyses of health and social justice, and about ways that progressive health workers can and do participate in collective struggle. We spoke by Skype to phone from Vancouver.
1: My name is Martha Roberts. I'm a community health organizer and a midwife, as well as an instructor both at Simon Fraser University and at the University of British Columbia. I'm a member of the Alliance for People's Health, and I'm also a member of another organization called Red Sparks Union. The Alliance for People's Health is just that. It's an alliance of progressive health workers and community organizers who believe that health is rooted in our economic system. And in order to achieve health and to reduce health inequities, we need to have economic transformation. So I'm a founding member of the Alliance for People's Health, and our roots lie in shared community organizing efforts. So in 1997, I was a part of a group of welfare recipients who began a fight to increase welfare rates in British Columbia. That was my first collective kind of community-based organizing effort for economic redistribution. And then in the early 2000s, I became a coordinator and organizer with a group called the Bus Riders Union. So we waged a successful collective struggle to fight against cuts to the night bus service and won $5 million in services for working-class communities in the Lower Mainland. So through these organizing experiences, we learned that collective efforts make a tremendous impact on the health of our communities. And in fact, in the Bus Riders Union, economic justice was important for us, but so was environmental justice and we became educated in the impacts of environmental degradation disproportionately on working-class communities. So I became introduced to the idea of popular health through my community organizing work, and at the same time was studying to be a midwife responding to unmet maternal health needs. So these two projects kind of came together in forming the Alliance for People's Health. Through the Bus Busfighters Union and through other community organizing work, we had come into contact with a number of liberation movements internationally. And in particular, we were interested in the National Democratic Revolutionary Movement in the Philippines, as well as Palestine liberation, and then experiences of liberation struggles, anti-capitalist struggles in Cuba and Venezuela and in other Latin American countries. And so we were inspired by the models of community-generated alternatives that we'd seen And a number of us had traveled abroad and integrated ourselves into organizations that worked on community health, specifically Venezuela, Cuba, and the Philippines. And so in 2005 and early 2006, several of us got together and said, we see these great examples with liberation struggles. We see that participation in liberation struggles is good for people's health, (laughs) And we see that winning these class struggle campaigns improves the health of our communities. So let's raise awareness both of liberation struggle as an antidote to disease, as well as a way to involve people in generating community-based responses to what are structural health problems. So we formed in 2005-2006. The politics of the organization aren't very palatable to physicians who... Predominantly under capitalist medicine are petty bourgeois or outright bourgeois business owners. So we tend to be majority nurses, midwives, researchers, and community members. We don't tend to draw in a lot of physicians, basically. So when we founded, we were all community organizers to start with. And then we embarked upon two different projects. The first project was political education for health workers and community members who are interested in health. And the second was to do what we called the People's Health Series. So that is actually doing popular education on health promotion and prevention in our communities. So we started out all as community organizers with experience in organizing. But as we began working, we began to draw in, in particular, students. So med students, medical residents, nursing students who were interested in applying social justice principles to their work or using their work to promote social justice would come into the organization and get a grounding in how to actually do health work that is responsive to health inequities. So initially, we were all organizers and also students or health providers ourselves. But as we progress, we draw in more folks who don't come from a social justice perspective initially, but are educated around a social justice perspective as they participate.
2: Lay out for me a bit more your understanding of what health means and how the analysis that the Alliance for People's Health has is different than maybe the mainstream understanding of what health is and ways to act to support health?
1: So we start with what we view as a sharp critique of what we call the structural determinants of health. The social determinants of health, access to housing, access to meaningful employment or a living wage, access to child care, unemployment insurance, those kinds of things that have come to be known as the social determinants of health are access to what we call a social wage. So workers who are generally exploited under capitalism, who receive less in the return of wages as they produce in material goods or services throughout their work have a general level of exploitation, and in order to fill the gap between what their wages pay them and what they actually need to live, they need to have access to public services. So that's the social determinants of health. We need to have a living wage. We need to have secure housing. Our kids need to go to school. So we start with that social determinants of health perspective and say, well, is access to social services enough? what about exploitation? What health impacts does the daily experience of exploitation have on working-class communities? So our perspective of health starts with saying it's not just enough to have enough. What we actually need to do is look at how the process of being exploited as workers impacts health. So then we start to dig into the idea of power and control. Do communities or individuals have the power that they need in order to lead meaningful lives Do they have the control over their life circumstances in order to be healthy? And then we say, let's look at systems where they have equitable distribution of wealth. So we know everyone always points to the Nordic countries, in particular Norway, as being a country that has very high rates of taxation of the rich and much better social distribution than we have in Canada. And then we can compare Nordic countries to countries like Cuba or Venezuela, who have in proportion to their national product or their income level as a country, have very low levels of infant mortality and very high life expectancy. And we say it's not just about money. Yes, money is good for our health, but it's also about democratic control of systems. And then we say, well, if it's about democratic control of systems, do we have democratic control over medical diagnoses or medical technology or pharmaceuticals and then we say we start to critique medicine as a business and it's not just big pharma or pharmaceutical companies that are a big business it's also physician care that's a big business and then we start to dig into what do working class communities think about their health problems So things like diabetes or heart disease, we start to critique these as diseases of capitalism where we're being told that we need to take medications when in fact, why aren't we talking about social justice as prevention of disease? And how much of a biomedical perspective on these chronic diseases is generated by a drive for profit? And then we get into the idea that participating in liberation movements is a form of healing. So we know that or we have witnessed at least, of course, no bourgeois academic scientist wants to study this, so the literature is thin if you want to talk about evidence base. but the practical experience of people and movements is that when communities are organized, their health is better. So we have a critique not only of the idea of what health means, but also the way health systems contribute to ill health or generating better health.
2: Tell me more about the kinds of things that the Alliance for People's Health has done since its founding to try to take that analysis and intervene in
1: communities. We have kind of a three-pronged approach, I suppose you could call it. Education, organizing, and mobilizing. So in terms of education, we really push the idea that we have social production of disease so even in cases where we have infectious disease transmission, like we see with Ebola right now on the hype and hysteria around Ebola, this is a socially generated epidemic. And we have the degradation of public health systems in Africa, which lead to the inability of healthcare providers to manage and control disease. And especially with non-communicable diseases, hypertension, diabetes, we see that this is a social production of disease. So we start by educating people around the social production of disease. And then we talk about community ownership and control over health systems. So when you go to the doctor, depending on who you are, of course, what your social location is, you have very little control over how your health is perceived or how your health is maintained. So we talk about in countries where we have strong popular movements, what do health systems look like? What does it look like to have community ownership and control? And then we start to provoke or prod healthcare providers and community members to start thinking about wealth redistribution and how wealth and resources are allocated in our society and who has control and who doesn't. And then kind of the last step in our education is talking about building solidarity with national liberation movements, as well as indigenous sovereignty movements on Turtle Island. So some of the things that we do are political education for health workers. So doing forums on topics such as is capitalism disease or looking at popular movements for health abroad. We've led delegations to both the Philippines and to Gaza and Palestine to look not only at the impacts of Canadian imperialism on the health of populations overseas, but also the response of those communities to imperialist domination and economic exploitation, and to take inspiration and give us heart in our work here in an imperialist country, but also to look at what can be achieved by communities where liberation movements run entire health institutions directed by the people. One of the best examples of this was a hospital we visited on Negros Island in the Philippines where the workers in the hospital, right from janitors right up to physician specialists, had formed one union that had actually kicked out state administrators and taken control over the hospital. And what they were able to achieve in the hospital was remarkable. So we provide this idea, this education for health workers and for community members about how struggle against capitalism is good for our health. And then the second component of our work is to organize. And so our organizing work looks like popularizing health prevention in our communities. So that would be things like the People's Health Series. And we've done a number of these series now. We've done a general People's Health Series where anyone can participate. We've done a health series directed specifically for women, looking at women's health issues. We've done an Immigrant and Refugee Health Series where we look at the politics and impacts of migration on people's health. And then we've done a series aimed at care providers, so both women who are caring for children at home or family members who are caring for elders. And what are the health issues that caregivers face, but also how can we meet those challenges in a collective fashion? So our organizing work has been predominantly around trying to build community participation in supporting health and well-being. And then the third component of that is to mobilize. So examples of mobilization, One that we were engaged in actively until 2011 was a campaign to try to have dental coverage be included in the package of insured services under the provincial health insurance. Because we know that, as we say, the campaign slogan is that your mouth is a window to your class. So we actually went out and it it was surprising to me. The response of the community, we set up booths on the corners of intersections in Vancouver and asked people if we could take a picture of their teeth, which is a very personal thing to do, but we were surprised at the number of people who were willing and wanted to have us take a picture of their teeth and to share their story of why their teeth are the way they are. It really is an interesting way to evaluate access to money and social standing one in five people who live in working class communities and don't have access to dental insurance in BC will have lost all of their teeth by the time they're 65. It's an interesting marker of social location and of social class. So that was a part of our campaign to document the impacts of lack of dental insurance on people's lives, but also to say that In fact, we are already paying for dental care through tax write-offs for corporations that provide dental insurance to their employees. So we're already generating revenue for insurance companies out of the public purse. So why wouldn't we equalize this and make it available to everybody? The costs aren't what the state claims they would be. And then the other campaign that we work on and we're currently working on is to support healthcare workers in particular healthcare workers who have comfortable jobs and who have some economic means to say, listen, if we believe that protection of the environment is an important thing, so environmentalism would be our opening into this discussion, then we say, let's talk about environmental justice and let's talk about the fact that the vast majority of B.C. is unceded indigenous territory and we have active mining, fracking, and pipeline projects going on, let's talk about supporting land defenders. And so we've done a number of public education and fundraising activities to raise money for land defenders, as well as some discussion about getting health workers out to communities that are being impacted and talking directly with impacted community members. So those are some examples of things that we've done or are currently doing.
2: You talked a little bit about the delegations that the organization has done to the Philippines, to Palestine. Tell me a bit more about how you connect the lessons that you can learn from the ways that communities have self-organized there to the -the on-the-ground conditions in a city like Vancouver.
1: Right, and that's always the challenge. (laughs) And of course, whenever we're on a delegation like this, Folks that we're visiting will say, how are you going to translate this at home? Because the context is so very different. And there's a huge difference even between places. So with the Philippines, we take, I think, really three challenges home with us. So what we see, the things that we draw inspiration from and that we think are critical or important. The first one is the idea of international solidarity and providing solidarity to the movement. So the health projects in the Philippines, the health workers in those projects are targets of tremendous state harassment, militarization, death threats, disappearances, arrests. For example, in 2010, 43 health workers in the Philippines in a city just outside of Manila, not far from Manila, were arrested and detained and accused of being members of the New People's Army, which is the armed wing of the Communist Party of the Philippines. And we're detained for over 10 months in prison. And so then we had to mobilize our health workers and our members here to provide solidarity and support. So we hosted a number of rallies, fundraising activities, educational activities. We presented letters to the Consul of the Philippines here. We sent letters to the President of the Philippines, to state representatives in the Philippines, to defend the rights of health workers to participate in a revolutionary movement. So there's that component of creating a lasting alliance to say that this isn't just a problem of people in poor communities. This is a problem of structural inequities, which are globally generated by multinational corporations. The second prong of that work once we get home would be to look at how the Canadian state intervenes in those countries. So Canada is a notorious partner of the Israeli state and a notorious collaborator in Israeli apartheid. So then to say, not only does the Canadian state have complicity in ongoing occupation of Palestine, but also has a direct complicity in the ill health of Palestinian communities. So really focusing in on how our state is complicit in undermining the health of peoples internationally. And then the third challenge, which is the biggest challenge, which is the one that's been hit home to us over the last eight, almost nine years of organizing, is how are you building a movement where you are to support social justice and economic transformation? So that, for us, takes form in a variety of ways. But the biggest one is just trying to educate, organize, and mobilize people in our communities to see the connection between their ill health and capitalism try to generate conversations around what it means to be anti-capitalist and what anti-capitalist health looks like.
2: Tell me more about the range of reactions and the range of conversations that you get into in response to your analysis of health, both from folks who are members of poor and working-class communities in Vancouver, but also from other health professionals
1: overwhelmingly, when people participate in our events, the first common reaction is, oh my gosh, you've just made sense of my experience. You see this kind of light bulb moment where people are like, oh my gosh, it's not just my fault. And they say, oh, I see now that I've been bearing this heavy burden of guilt or self blame, or we're told that like we ate the wrong thing, we didn't work out enough, we didn't make the right choices. This is the overwhelmed public health message. You're ruining your health by not doing the right thing. And so people come and they just, you see this release of tension in their bodies and this sense of, thank God, <laughs> it's not just my fault. Now what am I going to do about it? For healthcare workers who are already thinking something's wrong, for healthcare workers who are already thinking, you know, I spend my whole day sitting in clinic with people and I'm not really making much of a difference. What am I doing here? You see them go, yes, I agree. The trouble is that it's like a mosquito against an elephant. We have a great struggle ahead of us. So in some ways, it's a little bit overwhelming for people. It's a great challenge to build a movement and it's a great challenge to find your way to participate. But overwhelmingly, people feel encouraged or heartened that they're not the only one that has this analysis. From mostly doctors... And I feel always a little bit like, you know, I actually appreciate many of the skills that doctors have, but structurally, as a profession, it's profoundly problematic. The way medicine is organized is profoundly problematic. And so we do get some reactions from physicians who say things like liberation movements that happened in the 70s. We've moved beyond that now. Or those movements are just terrorists. And what do we have in common with those people? Those kinds of defensive reactions to say that, you know, it's defending their class interest. That's those typical reactions of defending class interest.
2: And I'd imagine that even among other professions, nurses, midwives, and so on, there's still a tension between that analysis of the kind of liberation struggle that is necessary for health and the various regulatory pressures of being a professional and being a member of a professional organization. How does that play out for people?
1: Absolutely. And this is a tension I experienced myself as a registered midwife I recently wrote a letter to the Canadian Association of Midwives criticizing them for participating in Stephen Harper's trip to the United Nations and applauding his maternal health funding initiative. My response to this is we should distance ourselves from Stephen Harper and we should not applaud his maternal health funding initiative because this is a smokescreen for imperialist intervention. And, of course, the reaction from the professional association is, well, our mandate is to increase access to midwives globally and to raise awareness around midwives. So we've hired this public relations firm who advised us to travel with Stephen Harper. I'm just like, oh, good grief. Right. Our class interests are becoming increasingly clear the more we have this discussion. So it can be overwhelming to be a member of a professional association that maintains a facade of progressive lingo without any substantive action to back that up. And those of us who do try to strike out and do something different do not have either the economic or institutional support of existing institutions, and we find ourselves both politically and economically marginalized. So it is really a hard choice for healthcare providers I think in that way, participating in an international delegation gives people a little bit of insight as to how our struggles in Canada are so much, I mean, we have a lot of privilege to even be able to decide whether or not we want to engage in these struggles.
0: What
2: are the key activities and actions that you see coming up for the Alliance for People's Health?
1: I think the two most important things that we see coming up and we haven't actually met as a group and confirmed this, but based on our discussions where I see this going, is one, to hold a series of discussions leading up to a conference on the structural determinants of health. So to actually bring together people who either currently work on health or who are already organizing for social justice to talk about how we can both use an analysis of capitalism and health to advance our arguments and our work, and B, use health projects to bring people into social justice organizing. And then the second big avenue of our work needs to be stepping up as healthcare providers and defending the land defenders to say that we actually, not only morally, but politically and economically, believe that we need to support Indigenous communities who are defending the land, and also to talk seriously about what it means for healthcare workers, both in our clinical work and in our political work, to say that we believe in in Indigenous sovereignty.
0: You have been listening to my interview with midwife and community organizer Martha Roberts of the Alliance for People's Health. To find out more about their work, go to aphvan.wordpress.com. That's aphvan.wordpress.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link marked radio. That's talkingradical.ca.